Last week when we studied the um, account of Jesus in his conversation with the rich young ruler, we were studying an actual conversation between Jesus and a real person. We don't know his name. He's referred to as the, the rich young ruler, but it wasn't a story. However, Jesus did frequently tell stories to teach a point. We call them parables. Jesus used parables all the time where he would give an illustration um, and, and that illustration was meant to teach us spiritual truths. What we have today that we're studying is a parable. It's a story that on the fly as Jesus is teaching, he, he comes up with this story and it is to teach us something about the hoarding of wealth. The ultimate warning is, is really quite clear. Do not come to the end of your life to find out that you've wasted it on things that count for nothing. But I want us to look at this, kind of break down this parable this morning. And I want to start, if you look at the first words of verse 13, someone in the crowd, someone in the crowd, Jesus is teaching a group of people right here. And I, I want you to try to kind of wrap your mind around the context of this lesson. You will find that Jesus is teaching, go all the way back to uh, chapter 11, and get the context of the things that Jesus is teaching about. That somehow leads to this question, but let's just look at it together in chapter 11, Jesus is condemning the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. He's speaking about those who are killing God's messengers. And he tells his disciples not to be afraid of those who could kill their body, but instead to ultimately fear God who has the power over the body and the power to destroy their soul in hell. He's teaching about the fact that there will be this final accounting in the afterlife. He tells his disciples that they should be anxious about nothing. And then he warns them about the leaven of the Pharisees. He warns them that just a tiny bit, just a little bit of that poison of the Pharisees. You let that work itself into your heart. You let that hunger and that desire for pride to take root in there, and it'll ruin the whole batch. He tells them that there's nothing covered up that will not be revealed. He's teaching about false religion. The danger of hypocrisy. And he's warning that those that live a hypocritical life, ultimately, in the end, at some point in time, all that's done in the dark, it will be brought to the light. Everything that's done in secret, it's going to be shouted from the mountaintops. What they've said in the dark is going to be heard in the light. He's asking them to think really deeply about their hypocritical hearts. He's asking them to think really deeply about the wretchedness that is inside. 
and to ultimately honor God who has the power over their soul to honor the Son of God. He says, confessing me, the Son of Man, before men and then being confessed by the Son of Man before the angels of God. He has spoke to them in this exact teaching. This is not just like all the things Jesus has taught about. Everything I'm telling you right now, this is what, he's in the middle of teaching this stuff. These very specific things. He has spoke to his disciples about the leading of the Holy Spirit in their moment of persecution. I mean, Jesus is talking about some really heavy stuff here. He's talking, he's mentioned every member of the Trinity. He's mentioned the reality of heaven and hell, the reality of an afterlife, the reality that we're going to answer for what we've done, the reality that God is going to judge the hypocrites. He's talking about some stuff. And out of nowhere, someone in the crowd says, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. Wow. There are a few moments like this as a pastor when I see that people said really stupid stuff to Jesus too, it makes me feel a little better. It's like, man, sometimes you bear your heart out and you're dealing with spiritual business and then it's like in the middle of it, somebody's just in the flesh and what they want to talk about is downright stupid, has nothing to do with what you're teaching about. It's like you might as well have been talking to a wall the whole time. It's frustrating. Jesus dealt with it too. In the end of Jesus' life, he's there at the Last Supper and doing communion. Right? We just celebrated communion, which we find the first act of that happening at the Last Supper. And Jesus, I just can't I try to put myself in Jesus' shoes. He's sitting there after basically three years of teaching these guys night and day. And the one thing he knows is that he's just a matter of hours before they all abandon him. Now, from a human perspective, can you just agree that feel like you had a failed ministry? Sometimes we feel that way. I don't want to hear how much I'm helping you. I want to see it. Don't tell me how good it's been that you've been to church and how helpful old Pastor Joplin's been if you're still out there living in your sin. I will say this, though. I want to encourage those of you that are tasked with the heavy burden of teaching the gospel. Whether you're committed to witnessing, sharing your faith out in the streets, whether you're called to teach in some capacity, um, kind of like what I do, pastor, preacher, singers, Sunday school teachers, whatever it may be, we must remember that it is not our job to control the outcome. It's not our job. It's our job to simply rightly divide the word of truth and trust that the word of God will do the work that only the word of God can and stay faithful to the task until our Lord calls us home. That said, Jesus is dealing with a crazy question here that has nothing to do with anything that he's teaching. And his first response is, who made me your arbitrator? It's really a, it's a response of like, this has, nothing to, it's, it's, this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. 
and why are you talking to me? The man is, is a really picture perfect of, of the materialist, right? He doesn't care about the spiritual things. I don't want to hear about heaven and hell. I don't want to hear about, you know, hypocrisy. And I don't want to hear about being led by the Holy Ghost in moments of persecution. Let's get to the good stuff, man. Tell me, how can you use your power, God, to make me rich? Materialist. And it reveals itself immediately. And you know, Jesus kind of rebukes him with like, what, am I your arbitrator? Am I the judge between you and your brother? And then he turns to the crowd. And he says, take care. He uses it as a teaching moment to all of us. And basically says, beware, be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And Jesus goes on to give them this parable of the rich fool. Now, why is the farmer called a fool? One could easily argue that he was a wise and responsible person. He has a thriving farming business. His land has produced abundantly. He doesn't even have enough room to store all of his wealth. Isn't this what we're encouraged to strive for? It's not. Isn't it wise and responsible to save for a future? To a degree, it depends what you're saving for. The rich farmer could probably be a great financial advisor. And in an era of time, especially as ours, where we falsely equate wealth with spiritual favor, it can be confusing. Why would Jesus call this man a fool? So let's ask the question of why this morning. What is Jesus teaching us? There are four truths, lessons that we learn that Jesus is teaching us in the parable of the rich fool. Let's look at them together this morning. Number one, the first lesson Jesus is teaching us is that financial gain is not proof of God's favor. And I will say this as well, that the lack of finances is not proof of God's disfavor. Jesus is simply teaching us that God's not impressed by all of our abundance. In fact, Jesus has the exact opposite response here than being impressed. He calls the man a fool. If you look at the world of false religion, you look at whether it's false Christianity because there is such a thing, brothers and sisters. There was a false religion that masquerades itself as Christianity. You will find that false religion at the root of it is the hunger for money. And in any given circle of influence, if the outcome 
is always wealth, 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 wealth. Something's wrong. Something's off. Now, I would never say that just because somebody has wealth that that means that they're not right with God. That's not what the Bible teaches either. Nor is that what Jesus is teaching here. But you will find that there is a certain part of the human heart that hungers for possessions and wealth and somehow thinks that if we're in a you know, if we get the right favor of God, we get where God wants us to be, that somehow it guarantees we're going to get these things. Ironically, that's exactly what this man wanted. He felt like he had money coming to him. We don't know why not, but for one reason or another, it hadn't come to him yet. He wanted Jesus to use his power and authority to make it happen. Sounds like half of the Christian pastors out there these days They're going to give you the right way to get in touch with God and guarantee that you're going to get a blessing and you're going to get rich and you're going to have power and you're going to have influence and you're going to be blessed, 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 blessed. And Jesus says, beware, don't be the rich fool. The first thing we have to see is that financial gain is not and it has never been proof of God's favor. So do not let your money lie to you. Number two, Jesus is teaching that wealth will never provide meaningful security. Wealth will never provide meaningful security. The rich farmer is not a fool because he's rich. He's a fool because he thinks that he has security in his riches. You know, like the rich farmer, we are all tempted to believe that if we would just have more, we would feel secure. There is no amount of wealth that can provide security. Jesus said, you fool, this very night, this very night, your life, your soul, it's going to be required of you. You thought, that somehow you could secure a certain future for yourself by securing influence, possession, wealth, you name it. And what God is saying is that none of those things have any ability to truly provide security. And so to look to them and to trust in them is foolish. In reality, nobody can provide security for us but God. That's the reality. And so anything you put before God becomes an idol. You know, in week one of this sermon series, we looked at Jesus saying how impossible it was for the rich to be saved. And a huge part of that is, is because the more we have, the more we tend to lean on that as a sense of security. And the more easily... We allow our possessions to turn into idols that give us a sense of false security. This man thought to himself, finally, finally I can relax. Jesus said, you fool, tonight's your final night. You know, there is no amount of wealth that can protect us from genetically inherited diseases. 
There's no amount of wealth that can keep us from being in tragic accidents. There's no amount of wealth that can guarantee that your family is going to succeed, that you don't have to work on your marriage because you got money. There's no amount of wealth that guarantees any degree of real security. And Jesus is pointing out the, the, the tendency of the human heart here to think that if we have possessions, if we have stuff, if we have money, if we have houses, if we have land, that, that everything's going to be good, everything's okay. Simply not true. Wealth will never provide meaningful security. Number three, Jesus is teaching that accumulating wealth is vanity. Accumulating wealth is vanity. Now, I want to explain what I mean by that. It's very important. In our current time, we kind of misunderstand the word vain. We tend to apply the word vain to like, you know, people that are all concerned about their looks, people that are, uh, whether it's physical looks or how they appear to people on social media or whatever. When we hear the word vain, that tends to be what we think of. You need to understand that biblically, what the word vain literally means, it literally means fleeting, as in here and then gone. That's what it means. It's like a uh, like smoke from a candle when you blow it out. You see it for just a split second and then poof, it vanishes. That's what vanity means. It means to vanish. You have no control of it. It's like grasping for it and then it's gone. You need to understand that's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about that which is vain. That's why Solomon said, like, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. It's all vanity. No matter how much I get, no matter how much I possess, no matter how hard I work, I can't hold on to it. It's gone. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here is that the uh, accumulation of wealth, it is vanity. Now, when you understand the definition of vanity, that does not necessarily mean that it's wrong, but only that you cannot keep it. Let me give you an example of, of how the wealth in and of itself, it is vanity. From the poorest person in this room to the richest person in this room. None of us know who either of those are. But from the poorest to the richest, one thing that we all have in common is that when we die, none of us are bringing anything we own with us. Right? If you were to take all the wealth that we own together, all of our possessions, all of our money that's in bank accounts, everything that we own, and we were to put that together and see how much dollar volume that came out to, how much wealth do we all possess together, you know how much of that we're taking with us when we die? Zero. This is what I mean by it's all vanity. And that's what Jesus is teaching concerning these earthly 
worldly things, it's not that in and of themselves they're wrong, it's that they're vain. They do not have the power to produce life. They do not have the power to change the soul, as we see, or provide meaningful security for the soul. And so we must understand what is the purpose of these things then if we cannot take them with us. More on that next week. That's what all of next week is about. So then what's the purpose of it? Why have anything? What should we do with what we possess? We will get there. But the first thing we must see is Jesus is teaching us there's a very foolish way that the human heart tends to view possessions. And in accumulating wealth, it's nothing but vanity. You cannot take it with you. Think about the reality. I talked about, right, that that it means fleeting or to vanish. Everything that he spent his life building up, all the hard work, everything that he had, he finally has so much, he doesn't know what to do with it. And Jesus said, all of it's going to be gone in the next 12 hours. Now that's vanity. Yes, that is vanishing. I worked all of my life to accumulate this, and in a night, I no longer have it. Jesus is teaching us the right perspective concerning the things that we possess. You know, there's an entire book in the Bible devoted to this concept of vanity. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. 66 books in the Bible, and there happens to be one where the entire thing is trying to communicate to us humans stuff you can't take with you. It doesn't matter if you have a little stuff or billions and billions of dollars of stuff. It doesn't matter. It's all vanity. And in the end, somebody else gets it. That is the lesson that Jesus is teaching us here and reminding us of. Number four, Jesus is teaching us that you cannot serve God and money. Now, elsewhere, Jesus just comes out and says that basic exact statement. I mean, almost word for word, Jesus just says, you can't serve God and money. He's teaching the exact same principle here. Here's why. If it comes before God now, it's going to come before God later. In Luke 16... Jesus also teaches that he that's faithful with much or with little will be faithful with much, and he that's faithful with little will also be unfaithful. I, I, don't, I should have known the exact quote. He teaches us that if you're faithful with the little you have, you'll be faithful with more. But if you're not faithful with what little you have, you won't be faithful with more. And the rich fool that thinks, you know what, one of these days I'm going to quit focusing so much on building my little kingdom, and one of these days I'm going to get serious about helping God build his. If you won't do it when you have little, what makes you think you're going to do it when you have a lot of things to be looking over? You can't serve both 
God and money or the accumulation of wealth. That's really what Jesus is teaching is that you cannot worship the accumulation of wealth and worship God at the same time. Here's one of the dangers of possessions that I think we need to see in the story. Uh, Obviously, the man spent his whole life, up to the last night of his life, working to build his possessions. And I promise you this, and I will spend much more time on it next week dealing with this truth. Possessions in and of themselves aren't bad. Money's not bad. The love of money is the root of all evil but not money itself. In fact, it's needed. It's needed for us in many ways. We will look at that next week. That said, here's one of the warnings Jesus is teaching here about not being able to serve God and money. You will find the more that you have, the more you have to serve it. You want three houses? You're going to have to serve three houses. Make sure you keep them up. Or pay people to keep them up. Or make phone calls to people to keep them up. You want a big yard with 20 acres? You have to mow 20 acres. The more stuff you have, the more of a slave you are to your stuff. I say this lovingly, cautiously, and from a, a warning spirit. Over my years, I have known and met a significant number of people of great wealth. And generally speaking, they are slaves to their wealth. They spend their, most of their life keeping it up, managing it, maintaining it. This is the warning. Because you can't serve God and money not possible. And you'll find that wealth has this dangerous tendency to take all of your time, all of your focus. Consider the problem that this guy's facing. His dilemma is he doesn't even know what to do with this massive harvest. I mean, he could build more storage, But if he builds more storage, that means he's going to have to spend some money to build the storage. And does it really, you know, does it, is it, is he going to be profitable? His land produces abundantly. So if he just builds another place next to it to store more, he's going to have to get into some of his land. So instead, he decides he's going to tear down what he already has and rebuild it, probably going up and larger so that he can store more. begins to give a little bit of a giveaway here that Jesus is teaching us about what happens when we start to worship our possessions. It's never enough. His solution is, I'm going to tear them down, I'm going to build bigger ones. You know, you'll find in the rich man's conversation here that it's a conversation he has with himself There are eight times he says, I, four times he says, my, while he's trying to figure out his dilemma. Not, 
I said to my wife, not. I talked to my family, but me, my, and I, my stuff, what should I do with it? And then he says, I will say to my soul. We see here that this man allowed his very reason to exist, this the, the, the seat of his mind, his heart, his will, his emotion, his soul to find its purpose in his stuff. And he said to himself, finally, after all this work, I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. And in Jesus' story, as was often common, comes the great big surprise where he says, you fool. Somebody else is going to get it all. This is the materialist's worst nightmare to work their whole life and finally get to the place where they've got where they wanted to be and then they die and someone else gets it all. How foolish it is for us to make these grandiose plans on what we're going to do with our life and leave God out of it, to not even work on our own soul. James 4 says it this way, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there. Engage in business, make a profit. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. As I said, it's the materialist's worst nightmare. This is what Solomon is saying in Ecclesiastes when he says, basically, I've got all this wealth, and you know what's going to happen? I'm going to leave it to some fool. And then the application of the story, verse 21, this is the application. So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. How foolish to hoard up what you have and then leave it all behind. I'm going to ask our music ministry if you guys would prepare for invitation. So what's the conclusion? Jesus says it's foolish to try to grasp and hold on to what you can't hold on to. He says that our life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life, your life, who you really are, where you're going to be 100 years from now, how you're going to stand in front of God on your day of judgment, all of it, your life. He said it does not consist of your possessions. It's not about what you have. As we see next week, it is about what you do with what you have. And Jesus says the rich fool is the one who hoards it all for himself rather than using it to advance the kingdom of God. The rich man learns the hard way what the writer of Ecclesiastes realized, and that is, in the end, you lose it all. This parable tells us how to define life. This is one of the few times you will see Jesus say something uh, straight like this that 
um, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This parable tells us about how to define life. And so I want to ask you a personal question this morning. How do you define your life? How do you define your life? Is it by your career? Is it by your social media presence? Is it by the accumulation of things? How much you make, how much you don't make? Jesus is teaching us none of those things actually define our life. But you see, it is a tendency of the human heart to allow those things to define us. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves on the old rat wheel of trying to chase these things. And what's wild about it is, it's nonsense, it's foolishness, because they're fleeting in the first place. You know, it's not that God doesn't want us to save for retirement. It's not that God doesn't want us to invest in the future. You're going to find other places in Scripture that teach about the wisdom of saving and the wisdom of being, you know, ready for the winter. It's not what Jesus is teaching against here. Ultimately, is about letting those things become idols in our life. Now, here's the great news. Next week, we're going to look at this incredible biblical principle called stewardship. It's kind of a weird word. It's one of those words that you say that, like, doesn't make a lot of sense if you haven't been in church, like fellowship. I always thought when I was new to the church and they had fellowships that it just felt a little weird going to them. Uh, it sounded like a code word for something that I did not know what it was. Like, we not say it's just a Christian party? Does that have to be fellowship? <laughs> Stewardship's another one of those words that over the years, it's like, well, what is that? But it is a biblical word. And so we're going to look at it next week. The awesome thing is, guys, it's not that wealth is wrong. In fact, God has a really awesome divine way on how he wants us to handle it. And you know, this first couple weeks is kind of like thou shalt not, right? Don't be like the rich young ruler. Don't be like, don't be the rich fool. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. And it's, it's important kind of for that heart check. But next week we're going to look at, so what do I do? What am I supposed to do with what I have? How does God want me to handle it? And the awesome truth is, is that we have this incredible role of taking the gifts, the talents, the treasures, the time, everything that God has given us and actually using it to advance his kingdom, to win the lost. It's an incredible thing. And as we see, God rewards us for it. That while we can't hoard it here and keep it, we can in essence invest it and send it ahead and be rewarded in heaven. It's incredible, incredible truth. But before we ever start doing that, before we are really willing to take that step and take what we have and use it for God, there must be this coming to God in our hearts where it's like, look, nothing I have is mine. It's all yours. What am I doing, God, with what you've given me? How much of it am I just spending on myself? 
my world, my kingdom, and what are we doing to win the souls of men and advance your kingdom and prove your glory? Next week, we're going to see that's all what stewardship is about. Amen.